Hello, my name is Monica Wilczynska. I am a master's student at the University of St. Andrews. And today I'm joined by Cesare Kutika, who's a lecturer in British history at Paris Wheat uh, University in the field of intellectual history. His research interests include early modern political thought and the methodology of intellectual history. And today I have the pleasure to discuss with him his book, Democracy and Anti-Democracy in Early Modern England, 1603 to 1689. So hello, Cesare. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Um, so maybe let's begin with the idea of the book. Where did that come from? Could you tell us more about that? Yes. Well, first of all, thanks a lot, uh, Monica, for having me here. And thanks to the University of St. Andrews and the Intellectual History Centre and uh, my uh, old mentor and friend, uh, uh, Richard, Richard Watmer. So I, I'm very glad to be to be here and have the opportunity mm -hmm. to talk about this book. Um, the idea of the book, which is a, an edited collection, which um, uh, Marco Peltinen from the University of Helsinki and myself uh, published with uh, Brill, um, it came out a couple of years ago, originated um, from a, a small conference or workshop um, which took place at the University of Erfurt in uh, Germany, um, where I uh, had a co-found um, uh, fellowship founded by the European Union in 2016-17. Uh, so as part of that, um, I had the necessary funding to gather a group of scholars, uh, mainly from the UK, some of them from the United States, um, to talk about uh, what Marco and I, um, Marco and I have been um, in dialogue about uh, all mm. things democracy and anti-democracy in the 17th century for quite a while. So we organized this, this workshop in order to have the opportunity to talk about something that we thought uh, not being covered, as I will explain further mm. uh, in the historiography. Yeah, okay, wonderful beginning. And does it relate in any way to your previous research? Uh, or is this idea quite new for you? Yes, well, this, this has been a, a, a long, I should say, probably far too long uh, journey, um, personal journeys, if you like, um, in terms of talking about uh, democracy and anti-democracy. So I just completed a um, a, a monograph on uh, ideas of anti-democracy in early modern England, which uh, is coming out with Oxford uh, University Press in May 2022. So in a way, this has been a long journey, um, which started about seven, eight years ago. Um, I was interested in, in you know, uh, understanding a little bit more about how democracy was depicted in early modern England. So yes, it's been a, and then obviously uh, uh, I got, uh, I was lucky enough to to obtain uh, a few research fellowships, including one at the Folger Shakespeare Library in, in Washington, DC. Um, I was able to participate in seminars and international conferences to talk about various aspects of this project. So yes, it's been a, a partly in individual, partly collective enterprise, which has been <laughs> accompanying me for far too long. Mm. But uh, it seems now to have, to have come to fruition of some sort. Mm, yes, indeed. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, it all comes together in this book. And well, maybe let's get to the, to the juice of it. Uh, what are the main research claims and what is so significant, especially because I think you make a link to, to today um, with democracy. It's quite a, a big topic that we discuss a lot. So could you expand a little bit 
about that? Yes, I mean you're, you're making a very good um, good point here. Um, the, the the funny inverted commas uh, thing is that when um, we started talking, you know, thinking about Mark and I thinking about this project, um, things for democracy weren't perhaps so bad, or at least um, you know Brexit had not occurred, Donald Trump was not there yet. Um, the you know major discourse about the crisis of democracy, if you think about places like. Um, Hungary, partly Poland, uh, Turkey, etc., uh, etc. Et um, this this was not as 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 there as as much as it is now. So in a way, we were kind of lucky to have to, to work on the back of, of of these events. I mean, terrible events. In, in you think about Brexit, at least from a personal perspective. You know, nowadays we're seeing the both the uh, pre appalling and ludicrous uh, consequences of it. Um, but anyway, we found ourselves dealing with an early modern topic whose relevance for the here and now became. Uh, rather uh, uh, prominent, um, and if you think it was about populism, and and all of a sudden um, we found ourselves uh, surrounded by an enormous amount of literature, newspapers, articles, uh, podcasts, TV talks. So we had to, we immediately had to struggle with uh, the issue of of originality. Okay, are we saying something new here? And the the funny thing is that the uh, 17th century, um, when it comes to um, English political thought, which is considered to be fundamental in many respects, it was, there were the civil war, there was a revolution, and the glorious revolution afterwards, actually had scarcely anything to say about uh, democracy. So we decided to uh, pull together a group of people who weren't just uh, historian of uh, political ideas, but also historians of uh, uh, religion, uh, of um, historians working in the literary, literary and gender uh, fields. And we asked them, what do you know about democracy, uh, both in positive terms and in terms of criticism of democracy when it comes to the 17th century. And we realized that obviously, you know, uh, reading an awful lot of, of stuff that um, there wasn't much uh, out, out there. But, and I'm going to mention a couple more things about this in a minute. And so we immediately realized that we had the opportunity to say something not only about democracy and anti-democracy in the 17th century, but, but by doing that, we could also say something about the longer term history of democracy, which for the greater part has been a bumpy journey, not just bumpy because democracy obviously uh, 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 well, the history of democracy is mainly a history of anti-democracy because democracy is pretty fairly recent, historically speak, speaking, chronologically speaking, phenomenon. But it's been bumpy in the sense that lots of historians have been, if you look at his, typical history of democracies, Plato to NATO, which was something that we didn't want to, didn't want to do, they start well, obviously with ancient in the West, ancient Greece. There is a little bit of stuff about uh, um, the Roman Republic. And then there is a big jump jump ahead to Quattrocento, uh, Italy. Um, and then there are a few things about the levelers. And then again, we have uh, a 150 years gap and we get to the American and French Revolution. And then is 19th century, 20th century. But there is very, there is almost nothing about medieval times and not much about the early modern period with few scattered exceptions. Often because the idea is, well, nobody, there, were, there were no democracies. Nobody was a Democrat. Everyone hated democracy. So what's the point? Um, in other, in, in secondly, there was also the attitude that, um, 
when it comes to democracy, the only thing you can do uh, in the early modern period is to study the levelers, were they Democrats, were they not, did they really uh, go for universal suffrage? Um, or in a more satisfactory way, uh, uh, there was also um, historiography uh, uh, which portrayed uh, 17th century England as, as the first place where idea of, ideas of democratization of democratizing uh, waves of public opinion started. Now we realize, we were, and this is, is done on the back of uh, Jürgen, Jürgen Habermas's uh, translation of well, the translation, the English translation of, of Jürgen Habermas's work on the public sphere, which bizarrely enough, in the, or maybe not so bizarrely enough, considered the Anglophone world is often monolingual, only occurred in the 90s. Or late 80s, so quite late compared to the A original publication in Germany, in German, and in other languages. So there was an explosion of work on the public sphere, which touched upon ideas of democratization. Now, all these ways of approaching the study of democracy um, left us uh, uh, quite unsatisfied. And I say one more thing. The other thing which we noticed and we didn't want to do was this kind of either anachronistic. Uh, take on democracy, i.e. the levelers were Democrats, um, people who supported resistance theory uh, in the Ottoman Imperial were proto-Democrats. No, we, we had none of it. Um, and secondly is the prolectic attitude, and it's, it's, it's kind of to do the reverse, to see things that in the um, uh, to see antecedents of, of things that only occurred uh, later. So in other terms, the, the, to answer your original question, our project also stemmed from a profound uh, uh, insatisfaction with what we had uh, in front of us in terms of historiography. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. Um, and finding a, a position for the book, which is quite different from what was already out there. And I'd like to ask you about the early modern uh, period in England in specific, uh, specifically. Uh, what is the outcome or what did you find in this period regarding democracy and anti-democracy, if that can be <laughs> said uh, in a summary of some sort? Yes. Well, the first thing is that um, is, is almost a paradox. Um, yes, democracy did not exist. Uh, I mean, if you think about early modern Europe, some Swiss cantons um, experienced former democratic uh, uh, politics and policies. Um, the German Anabaptists in the 16th century were accused of being Democrats and having some democratizing forms of, of again, agencies. Um, but we can agree that democracy um, did not exist. And here we should say, what do we mean by democracy? Because this has mm. been the other big, big thing. Um, direct democracy, participative democracy, representative democracy. And it's important to uh, understand what democracy meant for these people in the early modern period. And for them, it meant a uh, lot of different things. It means the participation of the, the multitude, uh, at least in critical terms, the participation of the multitude, meaning everyone, not the people, because this is, that's the other thing. The notion of the people is in the notion of the multitude are two different things. The people are a selected uh, uh, group. Um, generally, they are obviously male, uh, often uh, householders, well-educated, and so on and so forth. They are not the mass, the plebs, yeah. um, uh, let alone women, uh, for instance. Um, where, and this is what the accusers of democracy 
in this period claim that democracy was. The other thing that, um, which is different from the idea of representative democracy we have now, is that uh, often democracy was associated like in ancient Greece, with election by lot, so the lottery system rather than a representative system. And the other thing is that democracy was associated with the idea of religious parity and with the idea of, of equality. So it, it, it was considered to be something very extreme. So what emerges from, from our book, I think, is that, and this is the paradox I referred to earlier on, is that although democracy did not exist, everyone talked about it. Mm, yeah. So it was there. It, it, people were obsessed with it. And this, and again, it goes back to your question. I think the other thing that we realized was, and this is kind of perhaps ironic, given that uh, my co-editor, Marco Peltonen, is best, best known for his work on republicanism, republican ideas, is that we realized that uh, democracy uh, um, and the talk of democracy was as important as reflections on republicanism. And so historiographically, we tried to sort of switch a little bit or, or move, you know, uh, a democracy more centrally under the radar of, of, of work uh, done on, on the 17th century. Mm, okay. Uh, and... Um... How would you see that related to today's discussions of democracy? What is the, um, the trend, uh, if, you, if you say so? Well, um, what one, um, for instance, let's, let's take something that we, we hear constantly uh, these days, the idea of fake uh, uh, news. Mm -hmm. Well, again, banality as it, as it sounds, this is nothing new. The 17th century is afloat with um, uh, the idea that uh, in democracy, uh, there are far too many people uh, speaking in a cacophonous way. So democracy is always associated with this idea that far too many people, including uh, women, uneducated mechanics, as they are called, mechanical people, so people who are working with their hands, they talk and they, they express their opinions on things that they know absolutely nothing about and hence they should shut up so there is a this fear that they, these people are trying to appropriate um arenas of uh discursivity discourses whether religious or moral or political that uh, should be uh, shut uh, uh, to to them there is the idea that uh, in democracies rumors and libels uh, uh do spread like wildfire and so and the fact that people are um uh, 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 pushing in in society, in society, a lot of false uh, accusations, false uh, rumors. So they didn't. You, um, the association with news is that um, Democrats are accused of, or people supporting demo democracies are accused of uh, searching constantly uh, uh, for news and novelties. Um, but the idea that fake news are something that populism and current democracy in crisis situations uh, 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 prompt is, some, is something new. It was already there in the mm. 17th century. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is we have heard a lot uh, um, in the last few years, you know, um, thanks, inverted commas, thanks to because of uh, people like Donald Trump, uh, the word uh, um, dem uh, demagogue. And this again is, is, is a word which um, was constantly associated with uh, the role of um, rhetoricians in, in democracies. Now, obviously this is something which uh, stems, comes from uh, ancient Greece, but it's fascinating to see 
in a country like England, where the printing press, especially in the 40s, uh, was uh, uh, started to really thrive, um, or even early in the late 16th century, we have the Marprelate uh, 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 tracks. So there is very much an association between rhetoricians, um, uh, oratorical types, um, who are very able with their words, and they act in a demagogic way to stir up the populace, uh, as it was called then, um, is interesting again because the word mob is later in, in the 17th century. Anyway, they do so dangerously to promote their own personal interests mm. rather than the collective good. And this is considered to be a severe threat to not just the political uh, uh, regime, but to society altogether. So democracy is really perceived as a terrible terrible threat is the world turned upside down which obviously refers to christopher hill's famous or for some infamous uh, work and in a way our work uh, on democracy and democracy in 17th century england as some of the reviewers picked on uh, has re-evaluated and uh, the, the work of christopher hill in that sense not that we agree with everything he says but there is something that he saw that uh, was then neglected for quite quite a while. So these are a few of the things that I uh, I would uh, underline. Um, yes. I'll, yeah. Thank you for explaining I, that. I think it's uh, sometimes quite reassuring to find uh, this richness in early modern England that can um, teach us about today's world. I think that's that's fascinating. And you mentioned at the start of the interview the, the kind of sources you use that you needed to turn to, for example, religious evidence. So I wanted to ask you about the kind of sources you used to, uh, to evidence your claims and, and how you went about that. Yes, I, I, I'm glad, Monica, that you, you're asking this, this um, uh, question. And it's for uh, two sets of, of, of reasons. Now, the first one is that... Um, we felt, although both uh, Mark and I are uh, trained as historian of uh, political thought, um, we felt that um, HBT uh, often has uh, eschewed engagement with um, religion, but also um, with the so-called cultural sphere. What, what do we mean by this? Uh, we felt, and, and, and this reflects the nature of the people that we invited to, um, we asked to participate in this volume. Um, we wanted to uh, focus on sources which weren't just predominantly sources which are normally studied by historians of political ideas, but also from uh, by literary, uh, gender studies, uh, and, and uh, religious ecclesiastical historians. And we wanted people who did not just concentrate on the usual suspects, Hobbes, Locke, the levelers. We wanted also to uh, look at minor uh, writers, uh, losers, if you like, um, people who maybe didn't write in, in a particularly stylistically, you know, uh, great prose, maybe even boring chaps, but we wanted to hear their voice. And to do that, we, we had to make use of a cluster of, of a very a wide spectrum of sources from uh, uh, traditional political treatises to tracts to pamphlets, um, satires, um, official documents, uh, letters, so manuscripts, of course, and printed material. So there is a real 
rich cluster of 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 works have been analyzed in uh, in by, by by colleagues and colleagues also also of different generations different um you know academic from different academic backgrounds but the richness was very much I think that one one of the things I know volumes are never perfect, and I'm sure you know. Actually, when I was rereading the introduction uh, for your for this interview, I thought, oh, "Blimey, you know, this could have been said in a oh, better no. way." So, so, <laughs> so, um, so yes, no, but I don't blame you, of course. But but you know, it's part and parcel of what we do. But one thing I so all of this to say that I'm never proud of what I write. But but one thing I'm very happy with is the fact that we managed to extrapolate. Um, quite a lot of stuff from sources which normally are not looked at by uh, historian or political uh, uh, thought um, so mm. that's and religion and culture are very important especially the role of religion in this uh, it's it's fundamental and it's fundamental about uh, in relation to criticism of presbyterians and independence but also criticism of anabaptism and also jesuits um, so religion plays a huge role in our work and end in the way in which ideas of ideas and practices of democracy emerge in 17th century England and how they influence then the Americans and so on and so forth. Mm, well, I think I personally, I think it's a wonderful achievement and I saw no problems in the introduction. <laughs> um, okay, uh, maybe just a few more questions because it, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, the sense that I'm getting is that this uh, work is quite uh, original in the terms of the sources that it uses and, and um, how it, the argument that it proposes. So could you tell me how you uh, see the position of this book? How, how is the stance different from others? Well, first of all, I, I free skin to sound uh, uh, extremely uh, um, boastful here. Um, there is nothing on democracy and anti-democracy in the 17th century um, uh, with regard to England. So the novelty stands from, from the very title. Um, so um, it, it, when there is something, is, as I said, mainly about the 1640s and the levelers, um, whereas we really cover the, in fact, the longest 17th century, because we start also with the, with the end of the previous one and, and the, the, the chapters on the Glorious Revolution, obviously, uh, do have um, do talk about the impact and repercussions on 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 the 18th century. So the, the very novelty is to say, look, we need to look more. Uh, we need to talk about democracy, you know, and we need to talk about democracy and anti-democracy in the 17th century in England, because what was said there, there, and then it's fundamental in order to understand a that century under a new light, and b for the longer term history of, of uh, democracy. To give an example, uh, you still find uh, very good scholars who say that democracy, not only democracy was criticized uh, in the 17th century only, but that democracy was only a, an academic term. It was basically a dry uh, a term used in, in uh, you know, boring uh, normative uh, treatises. Absolutely not true. Uh, uh, democracy, as I said, was people were obsessed with it. Uh, it you just need to go and look at mm. a, a, a huge, a, a wider variety of sources to, to find this, this, this chat, but it's there. Um, and so that's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, a one big novelty. Um, another thing is, um, 
some of the contributors looked at um, writers, say Milton, Locke, Arjun and Sydney, um, who have already been studied uh, to a great extent also in terms of ideas of um, popular sovereignty, something I will return to in a second. Um, but they attempted to say something new and to cast these people uh, under a new light, which is more related to uh, democracy. I, to give an example, if I think about Rachel uh, Fox's work, you know, uh, she's saying, look, Milton has always been looked under the Republican light. Now we also need to look at Milton as a profound anti-democrat whose ideas were influenced by so-and-so in ancient Greece. Now, I did mention popular sovereignty because and also this in part, uh, in part response answers your question. Uh, in 2016, there was a collection of uh, essays edited by uh, Quentin Skinner and Richard Burke uh, on the ideas of, on, on ideas of popular sovereignty. Going from ancient Greece to, uh, I think, the 19th century at least. And, and whereas some of the essays are very good, of course, uh, we thought that uh, pop popular sovereignty uh, needed to be distinguished very clearly from, from democracy. And the two things uh, are not the same. So the implication is often being that if you find a, an author who's a writer who's support your popular sovereignty, he will be uh, most likely inclined to have a positive idea of democracy. Not at all, because you can have people in favor of popular sovereignty, but but the very same people are profound anti-democrats. Um, so um, it, this, this needed to be, um, needed to be uh, said. And also um, the other novelty is to say, okay, because somebody could say, look, you know, we, this is all uh, old hat. You know, we know the democracy was uh, contested, was criticized. Uh, yes, but nobody really focused on why mm. it was contested, how. And also we ask ourselves, in which, in which ways did it matter if a writer writing in uh, according to one genre, genre or another genre criticizes them in different ways? So when people are mocking the, the parliament of women, they're doing it in a way which is different from somebody accusing a Presbyterian of being a Democrat. So, uh, so the, the, the richness, the wealth of uh, different types of criticism of democracy, I think is a is a key point, uh, and maybe I hope so, strength of, of our volume. This yeah. is a, in a nutshell. Yes, very well said. Uh, uh, I think it's very motivating to, to read the full volume. And uh, I would like to ask you finally whether you feel this, this work says it all. Is this the final say or is there more to be said about this topic? Wow. Well, <laughs> if I, I think this, this could uh, land, me, land me in, in trouble if I, if I said, uh, if I said yes, well, no, in, in a joking, not, not joking way, I, if, I, if I said yes, I would have people chasing me down the, the, the street. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, obviously I wouldn't, you know, uh, say yes, because there is always actually what we hope uh, to have done with this volume is that there will be more people looking and disagreeing, you know, and saying we had already few reviews came out and, you know, they were quite positive, but there were also uh, some points of criticism. And in a way that's encouraging because it, A, it stimulates people to look at it and say, oh, okay, we thought we have said anything, everything about the 17th century uh, from a political perspective, we haven't at all. So that's one thing. And the second thing is um, that, um, so in that sense, we hope to stimulate more, more chats about this. Um, so no, I wouldn't say we have said it at all. Um, for instance, one thing that, um, and this partly reflects, and sorry for being uh, slightly 
subcentric here. It probably reflects my and Marcus's uh, work on uh, democracy because I stopped 1642 in my monograph, um, which I mentioned earlier. I'm not too brave to go into the very busy, mm -hmm. crazy 40s, whereas his book starts a bit um, after mine. And we, it is a nice narrative because what we do claim, both of us, is that if, if change there was, it, that occurred with the uh, uh, beheading of Charles I in 1649, when more positive notions of democracy, of representative democracy, started. Um, it doesn't mean that they, they lasted long, but there was a change, it was a shift. Now, uh, this is something that needs to be um, further uh, worked on, and, um, and so it's something that we hope to have stimulated. The other thing, the other reason why I think we haven't done the, the full job is because what the volume shows is that although the book is about England, um, it's not navel gazing in the sense that being about England meant being about Europe. So this sounds to be like an advert for an anti-Brexiteer <laughs> campaign, but it's actually true in the sense okay. that there was constant diet, the, the, the English writers that we looked at were in constant or even not just right even they people that whose name you, you never heard of before they were in constant dialogue not just with as to be expected with the ancient greek and roman sources but also with their contemporaneous french swiss german uh, writers so it, the book is about england but um nobody's perfect but, but it's actually very european pan-european uh, uh, work it would be important to continue uh, uh, this work by actually having writers, uh, scholars, telling what was going on at the same time, say, in, there are a lot of references to Holland and to Venice, for instance. So what was going on there? Switzerland and so on and so forth. Um, Switzerland is an interesting case uh, because it's, um, I'm not going to, to mm -hmm. but it's an interesting case I picked on my book. I have a chapter dedicated to Switzerland because the, the English in the early modern period, were obsessed with Switzerland, uh, uh, and they have lots of funny things to say uh, about uh, Swiss democracy, which is not just, um, it's funny, I say funny because it's not just about politics or religion, it's also about habits. So they say, well, look at the Swiss, this is one of my favorite, look at the Swiss, they don't know how to have a good party, they don't know how to enjoy themselves, they don't go hunting and drink, because they're Democrats. So the implication <laughs> was Democrats are boring, you know, so I mean, I'm exaggerating to be, but, but they're also this more kind of ethical pseudo-ethnic connotation of democracy which make I think uh, work on democracy a bit a bit um, well not just funnier but uh, but interesting and and, yes. and and more interdisciplinary to use a you know a fad word of, of, of the moment yes well that's that's quite funny indeed um, this discussion has been fascinating I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure all, all the listeners will as well uh, I have to finish here and thank you very, very much. And I'm really looking forward to, to more and the, the book coming out in 2022. Is that right with Oxford? Yes, that, that's correct. Yes, that's my monograph. Okay. Yes. So I'm, so I'm sure so we'll much, also Monica. talk about that. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for your okay. question. Thank you. Bye.